Hello and welcome to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining with us. We've got Paul Spielbauer with Lake Superior Consulting. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Good. Thanks for being with us again. I want to pick up where we left off and talk a little bit deeper into mechanized welding and why we're doing it, how we're doing it, and what it's done for the pipeline industry. Uh, as you know, there's a perception out there by some that any mechanized welding takes jobs away from people and it's a bad thing. I tend to disagree with that, but I want to get your take on that and why we're doing it. Yeah, no worries for sure. So, you know, mechanized welding was first introduced by CRC Evans in 1969. They were the company who was first successful in getting equipment out. Um, Since that time, right, the original bug was a simple system that was single torch MIG welding bug. The evolution of that really has been kind of following along and taking advantage of better controls, uh, controlling technology from computers, processing power, that type of stuff to allow for more features to be built into these welding systems, these orbital welding systems that help augment the welder and or take them out of the, oh gosh, I don't want to say this, take them out of the uh, equation, right? Help remove more of like the option for human error in the welding. Also too, the big thing is they produce and they can definitely produce uh, a recent pipeline project that I was on. They were working on 42 inch. Their mainline pipe was, I want to say uh, 617 wall for the mainline 42 inch diameter pipe. And they were completing uh, 168 joints a day, fully welded out. That is immense production to be able to do that with manual welders would just require an astronomical number of people probably couldn't be very well achieved readily, let alone getting the number of welders that are that skilled anymore to do it. I hear this argument or this conversation about lack of skilled welders anymore. And is it that we don't have the skilled welders that we need, or is it that we have a need for more skilled welders than we have, right? So is it, is the actual number of skilled welders tapered off or is it that the requirements of pipeline welding and all other welding are getting so much more stringent that there's more work for them to do uh, more work to go around? Yeah. I, I think for me, you know, the pipeline welding, the way I see it is you definitely have a lot of welders aging out of the industry who are the very skilled welders. Also on top of that, you know, it's not just basic film that they're doing for NDE now, wet film. It's, you know, digital radiography. Uh, Some major companies now are moving towards AUT for inspection of even manual girth welds. And that is a very tight uh, inspection criteria to fall underneath. I mean, they're not going to miss anything with AUT. So it takes a really skilled welder. Um, especially when you're talking about putting in the critical root pass and hot pass, you know, the people that can do that reliably for 10 hours a day are few and far between. So if you can augment those welders with mechanized systems and put your best skilled welders onto doing other places where mechanized welding isn't practical, I think it's a bonus. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting balance. And as you know, materials have dramatically changed over the last two or three decades in pipeline industry. Um, filler metals have changed, processes have changed, and trying to find a that balance is is probably not the easiest thing to do. 
Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of discussion in the industry now around, you know, ensuring that your girth weld is overmatching your pipe and not just basing that overmatch on, well, what, what are the minimum properties of this line steel based on API? But hey, we have a mill run. We have a heat. You take a look and hey, what's my 90th percentile for strength level here? And then overmatching that. And so that's driving companies to now look at, you know, 90 class or 100 or even 110, 120 class electrodes, you know. And so when you take a welder who is used to just cellulosic downhill welding, well, you know, cellulosic 90, 10 electrodes, they cause a whole lot of headaches, you know, huge concerns with cracking when trying to implement those electrodes. Mm -hmm. So 80, 10 electrodes start to get limited out. And so if you want to use a 90, 45 or an uh, 118 electrode, right? You know, you start to get a productivity ding. And so by going to mechanized welding, you can very easily select consumables that are going to provide overmatching characteristics to your girth weld that are then easier to implement in the field. You know, using a low hydrogen vertical up, that just kills productivity. So while you're overmatching, what are some of the main challenges that you have to overcome as a welder or as a consultant or as a company with these new high strength consumables and, and pipe that you're working with? Obviously, the weldability is different. What is what is making the changes and how are welders adapting to that? You know, I think the welders, right, are by nature a adaptable group. I think that's probably one of the characteristics of pipeline welders is creative people, adaptable people. Um, so they're really picking up, I think, on the low hydrogen downhill type electrodes right now. So those are your 8045, 9045-P2 electrodes. Um, they also make those in 145, I believe, depending on the manufacturer. And so they're doing a great job of that. And it's really, you know, learning a new technique and showing each other how to do it. And they're, they're picking up on that quite a bit. And I think a lot of the welders now, too, are embracing, you know, mechanized, say, flux core welding, especially some of the older generation of welders who before, you know, hey, I was a manual rig welder for years and years. But if I can now take and run a bug, a mechanized welding system that's easier on my body, I might be able to get a couple more years out of my career before I retire out. Right. I mean, it beats a guy up to get up and down a piece of pipe all day long. Yeah, that's. There's one thing that a lot of people miss is the physical aspect of, of welding in general, up, down, around, hanging off of stuff underneath it, hot, cold, doesn't matter. Yeah, th these are tough men and women doing this, and they're doing it out in, you know, rough elements, rough places all around the world every day. You know, it takes a special breed. Right, you don't typically run a pipeline through a, a cush little area. Yeah, no, like there was always a joke about the – uh where seriously, they joked about the, the pineapple express, the pipeline in Hawaii, you know, that's never going to happen. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so talk to me a little bit about what you do with Lake Superior Consulting. What is your day-to-day -day like now? Yeah. So my day-to-day -day now, I, I really enjoy it. Right. So, um, I've got a couple of companies that I'm working for on a regular basis, providing, uh, guidance on welding, uh, code compliance, uh, best practice, helping uh, correspond with uh, field inspection personnel. So they'll give me a call. Like, you know, we had a recent one where they were doing some fabrication out on a meter station and they took a look at one of the ID long seams on the sub arc weld and it had 
some really weird stuff going on, you know? So they reached out to me to say, Hey, what happened here? You know, we're, do we need to cut this out? A, right. And the answer was, Oh yeah, we're definitely cutting that out of the line. We're not leaving it in there. And then B, we got to find out what caused this, what happened to make this occur. And so, you know, start burning up the phone lines and calling around to people I know and using my past experience to say, Hey, turns out someone probably had the, uh, a flux vacuum system too close to that weld and uh, it sucked up some molten pool with it. So there's so much tribal knowledge in welding, right? Yeah. How do we, how do we keep it from being lost with it, with an aging workforce? How do we, the, the small little things that welders don't even realize that they're doing right. Setting yeah. the flux vacuum back just a little bit. Or as they feather attack, they feather it one way or another just to make it so it's easier to run into and run out of. Yeah. How do we preserve that? You know, I think that's where it's really difficult. You know, I love tribal knowledge. I thrive on that stuff. I love getting those little tidbits of information stacked up in my mind. Like I get excited when I see something like that. Right. And I think that's something that's really helped me in my career is trying to learn from those guys that have that tribal knowledge and finding those who are willing to share it. And I think at the end of the day, it really is going to come down to people who are interested in going down this path, looking around and seeing who's being successful and learning that tribal knowledge from them and why they're successful and then being willing to pass that on. Right. Um, trying to go ahead and put it into books, put it into procedures and documents. You know, I've worked before on efforts to try and capture all of that. Right. And it really doesn't work. You know, um, at CRC, they had a great plan before where they brought in, you know, a experienced field technician. The guy had worked since the beginning all around the world for 30 plus years. And they just brought him into the shop and his job was to go ahead and just work with new technicians, new employees to break them in and try and pass on that tribal knowledge in the shop before you kicked them out into the real world. And so having a person that a company is willing to support and know that, hey, maybe, you know, their dollar value to the company is not in producing something. But in realizing that their dollar value is in passing on that tribal knowledge and making sure that they're around to do that. That is something I would recommend every company look into. Yeah, so much of it retires every day. That's it, you know. And, you know, thing I've found too is, you know, even these guys who are retired, right? Get their phone number. Don't be afraid to give them a call. They probably would love to talk to somebody. You know, they still have a desire, even if they're retired, a lot of them to stay in touch with what's going on. And if you're willing to call them and just chat with them, they'll probably love it and still want to pass that tribal knowledge on just because somebody retired out and they're not coming in every single day or showing up on the project site doesn't mean they stopped existing. Exactly. And honestly, I think with welders, especially pipeline welders, you'll never meet a more competitive group of people mm -hmm. that's got your back at the exact same time. Yeah. You know, it's like, for me, it's like playing a game of pickup with some buddies, right? I'm going to try and beat them as much as I can every single day. And at the end of it, we're still going to be friends, right? But during exactly. the game, I'm probably going to throw a few elbows and try and take you out. Absolutely. It's, it's all fair and love and welding, right? That's it. So, 
Well, Paul, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate your time. To our listeners, thank you for being with us. We hope you join us next time.